0: Trauma transforms lives, but it doesn't have to define them. Today's guest has seen this truth play out again and again throughout her 30-year career as a social worker treating young survivors of neglect and abuse.
1: I think that survivors would want people to know that they are more than their trauma. They're more than their abuse. Their
0: abuse is something that happened
1: to them, but it's not who they are.
0: I'm Michelle Welch from Utah Women's Walk, and this is Legacies, a podcast dedicated to preserving the inspiring stories and wisdom of Utah women. Joy O'Banion is the Director of Strategy at Orem's Family Support and Treatment Center, where she served as the Executive Director for 25 years. She has a Master's in Social Work and Sociology. Adam Welch, who serves on the Board of Directors for Utah Women's Walk, spoke with her in 2020.
2: Let's start at the very beginning. Where you came from and where you were born and what was like life growing up for you?
1: I was born in a small town in northern Wyoming called Powell, Wyoming. I lived there for the first six years of my life. It was such a great time. My grandparents lived on a farm outside of powell the place where i grew up was billings so i consider myself from montana and it's a little bit hard for me to have utah plates on my vehicles
2: <laughs> Right. is there anything that you look back and think of maybe certain experiences that maybe helped steer your life's work that kind of affected you growing up
1: i turned eight in 1968 So that tells you how old I am if you do the math, Mm. right? And that year was, it was a really interesting year. First of all, Helen Keller died. And when, I don't know if it was my first or second grade class, but our teacher read the story of Helen Keller to us. They announced it on the radio and my parents were talking about her and how, how much good she had done in the world yeah. in spite of being deaf, blind, mute. The next thing that happened was Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm. And that affected me. And then Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. And as I compared Helen Keller and the good that she had done versus how is it, I mean, my eight-year-old mind questioning, how is it that we can live in a world where we kill people? And those experiences, I think, started my social work. How can we hurt each other this way? Right. And then when I was 10, a couple of years down the road, one of my great-grandmas was in a nursing home, and we used to always visit her on Sunday afternoons. I had a blue dress on, I remember really well. And we were walking down the hall to her room. And I'd done this many times. But this particular day, as we walked by the nurse's station, there was a woman who was sitting in a chair. They had her arms tied to the chair. And then the chair was tied to the pole by the nurse's station. Ugh. And all she could do was just circle that pool. But as she did that, people walked by her. As I've looked back on that as an adult, I've thought, okay, so she was probably a wanderer. And so they were probably trying to keep her safe. But why are we doing it in a way that is also degrading to her? Right. Yeah. And that experience had a very powerful impact on me in terms of we need to treat people with dignity and respect. I think social work's in my blood, Adam. I think social justice is part of my DNA. I remember as a teenager imagining myself as a therapist. I didn't know what social work was at the time, but I imagined myself being a therapist. That same dad of mine kind of at one point, in an effort to protect me, said, you care too much. Those yeah. aren't exactly what, those aren't his exact words, but that's what he was saying. And I listened to that. And so I wasn't sure if therapy was the right way for me to go. And so I did sociology instead. Yeah. And I had a mentor who said, you should go on for your PhD. And I said, to him, if I do, it's going to be in marriage and family therapy. I'm going to do therapy if I go on. Yeah. And then I started working at the center and I found out that what I really needed was a master's in social work. And so after I'd been at the center for about four years as the director, I went part-time and did a master of social work so that I could do therapy. Hmm. And here I am 31 yeah. years later at the center, and it's been my life work.
2: What sources of strength do you have, or like how do you keep your bucket full, so to speak, as you invest time and attention to all the different people that are just coming to you in turmoil?
1: It's like walking on sacred ground when somebody opens their heart. Yeah. To walk that journey with them it's so important to remember they're inviting you into their life, into their heart, into their mind. And that really is sacred work. And so I do believe that having a spiritual connection is really important in being able to hear what they're saying, not just hear their words, but hear their message and hear their heart. And so that's helpful to me to remember that. And, to do my own work in terms of being prepared for that. I am lucky, I'm blessed, I'm fortunate to have a group of comrades in arms. I didn't name us this and I don't like the name, but the name is Magnificent Seven. We go (sighs) by Mag Seven. So what that is a group of therapists that as the agency was really taking off therapeutically, There are seven of us who really started that and we have been able to stay close for over 25 years and those friends, we just, we get each other and we're important to each other's lives and that's very helpful. It's also helpful to be connected to my family. I don't have kids of my own but I'm pretty connected to my nieces and nephews and now yeah. to their kids and being around this is going to sound weird but being around kids who aren't traumatized yeah can be helpful to remember oh yeah not every kid in the world is traumatized
2: what do you think is maybe one of the the most rewarding concepts or elements of your job and and why is it the most rewarding? It
1: is so cool to watch people become who they're meant to be. Yeah. And a lot of people, adults especially, who've been traumatized have forgotten who they are. Hmm. And as they rediscover that, it's such a powerful experience. So that's really cool.
2: Yeah.
1: It's also an amazing thing to watch kids whose parents have hurt them yeah. and maybe their rights have been terminated and now they've been adopted. I remember one little boy and I remember his story to me is one of the epitomes of my job and why we do what we do. This little boy had been through the system long enough that his parents' rights were terminated. Mm-hmm. He had two sisters And when it came time for adoption, the family decided to adopt the girls and not him. And so he was taken out of that home. Uh. And so he lost his role as protector of his sisters. He's now told again, we don't want you. He's lost his parents. He went to another placement that failed back to the original one, bad idea, failed again. Thanks. When he got to the family that ultimately adopted him, he looked like a concentration camp kid. His stomach was descended, he hoarded food, he was skin and bones. Even though he'd been in the system for 18 months, that's what he looked like. Yeah. My personal feeling is because yes, he got food, but that's all he got. He didn't get the emotional support that he needed. He happened to be half Native American. And the foster dad, his who became his dad, was also half Native American. And he started taking him to powwows and teaching him about his heritage and teaching him to dance. And he came to therapy with me and... At seven months, when this couple adopted him, he had grown seven inches. Oh, wow. Seven inches in seven months. Jeez. To me, he's the representation of those studies that they did in orphanages long ago, where half of the kids they fed and half of them they fed and they held them. And those that they fed turned their faces to the wall and died. Hmm. And those that they held lived. Yeah. Now, I want him to do more than live. He's an adult now. Right. And he thrives. I want our kids to thrive. And and so being part of that is very rewarding. And And it's just such a cool experience. I had one of those last night when I saw a little kid who had been traumatized. And I saw her bright. Yeah her eyes shine. She's happy. She's thriving. And I shared that with Stuart today. Mm. He was super excited. (laughs) Yeah. One of my mag seven friends said, people will say to him, why would you want to do this? This is such hard work. And he says, why would you not? Why would I not want to? to be part of this work because it's amazing.
2: So you mentioned earlier about Helen Keller and Martin Luther King Jr. in the very beginning, also about your grandparents, but are there any other women or men or anybody that you looked up to as a child growing up and, you know, family members or anybody else? And the second part of that is why did you look up to these people or was there certain qualities that you'd admired in them?
1: So, I would say that my maternal grandmother is probably growing up was my biggest hero. Not because she had a large station in life, but she sent me a message when I was very young that I mattered. And that message created in me, I think, what we want to create in everyone, and that is that you are important. You matter. And people who get that message... As we talk about trauma, they're able to heal. Yeah. Those who don't have that, don't have somebody in their life who sends that message to them. They, It's much, much more difficult for them. Yeah. So I credit her with sending me that message that I mattered. I do. First of all, in terms of my job, yeah. I believe we're obviously not there in our society. We have a long way to go. But I believe that everyone has the right to a happy, healthy life. Yeah. And that has created in me a desire to provide that for as many people as I can. Dignity and respect. You heard me say that earlier. Dignity and respect is really important. Do you have any advice that
2: you would share with women?
1: First of all, get an education. Please get an education. It doesn't necessarily have to be a four-year degree. It doesn't have to be a master's degree, but it's important for women to be educated. One, because if you find yourself in a situation where you need to support yourself, support your kids... Have something that, that can provide you with that opportunity. More importantly, education, knowledge is power. Yeah. And so as we educate ourselves, we gain power. And that's important. I also would say take care of yourself. Take care of yourself physically. Take care of yourself emotionally Take care of yourself spiritually. Take care of yourself socially. Those four quadrants, right? Yeah. We, as women, are really good at taking care of other people. We're not always so good at taking care of ourselves. It's important to take care of ourselves while we're taking care of other people. And it can be such a small thing. You know what the end is going to be. So live your life with integrity. I learned this from my grandpa. I watched him move water with a shovel, right, when he was irrigating. Yeah. With integrity, he did it to the best of his ability, and his fields were green. And I learned that it doesn't matter how great the task is, right? Yeah. But by small things, we really do move mountains, we move people's lives. And you never know when you dry a tear, you put a blanket around a kid who's just, you know, it's her birthday and she's throwing up and there's no presents for her. That's going to matter someday. Yeah. And the really cool thing is when people come back to you and they say, you changed my life. And all of us have, all of us do. So we need to be aware of who's around us. Hmm, I could help that person. Just by reaching out, do it yeah. because it will matter to them.
2: Do you think of anything that you would like to be remembered for?
1: If there was one word that I want etched on my tombstone, it's integrity.
2: Hmm.
1: I want to be remembered for that.
2: We're so grateful that you were able to come on the podcast today, and we feel honored to have been able to have learned more about you today. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Utah Women's Walk.
0: Thank you so much. We want to thank Joy O'Banion and Adam Welch for this important and beautiful interview. If you'd like to do something to help survivors of abuse, please consider supporting or attending the Father's Day Classic Golf Tournament on Friday, June 18th at Thanksgiving Point. It's a great way to celebrate Father's Day, as well as support a worthy cause. You can play in the event, sponsor, volunteer, donate, or give as a gift. This tournament is raising money and awareness for Prevent Child Abuse Utah, a leading organization dedicated to eradicating child abuse. For more information, go to fathersdayclassic.com. If you'd like to listen to the full interview with Joy O'Banion and other remarkable Utah women, visit utahwomenswalk.org. Thanks to our writer and producer, Tamara Kemsley, our editor, Ron Kuhl, and Katherine McIntyre at the UVU Library George Sutherland Archives. A special thanks to our supporters, Denise and Alan Alexander, Shauna Duke, Roman and Ann Takasaki, and Julie Bagley. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Legacies.